All right. The book of First John, please open up to it. Towards the end of the Bible. Matter of fact, you can go to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, and then go over about five pages. And you are there. So last week, we kind of did an introduction to the book, why it's important, some of the themes and issues that it raises for us, and we briefly spent time going over verses 1 through 4. So tonight, um, I would like to just kind of dig our teeth a little bit more into the passage, and so we'll be looking at at verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1. Um, I think, um, what do I say? If you don't have, like, bef- I just want you guys to know the Bible is not written with little numbers in it, okay? So John wrote this as a letter first, okay? And then we, thousands of years later, we started adding chapters and little verses to it. So if you probably got the original thing from John, you'd probably see a few different paragraphs and sections. And the second section that you'd see would be probably um, what we would say, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Um, it's what we call kind of like a full unit of thought or this kind of a lame word called pericope. But just because I think it also flows in next week, we'll just look at verses 5 through 10. Um, just a little information about the passage. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Ask God to bless this time, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. So would you look down at First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Would you pray with me? God, we ask as we come to your word now, Lord, that you would help us to understand what this passage is saying and Lord, that you'd help us to, to really grasp the meaning and the application of this passage. God, we are constantly bombarded with new ideas and thoughts and philosophies. But God, I pray that we would be your people who are enlightened and who are challenged by the words of Scripture. Help us, Lord, to think hard, to think well. God, to not be lazy in our pursuit of knowing you more, but God, I pray that we be diligent in asking what the Spirit would want us to change in our lives. Thank you for these middle, not these middle schoolers, these high schoolers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize if you're offended by that. That's the first time I've ever done that. (laughs) Thanks, Bella. 
Alright, so we are looking at 1 John, okay? He starts off, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. That sounds a lot like what he said last week in the first couple of verses. Now here's the thing. When I was camping one time, I remember um, I was with a buddy and we, actually there was, there was three of us, I'll take that back, but one time it was just me and him and another friend was gone somewhere and we like totally didn't bring anything. We were not ready. We were super cold. We were super hungry. We slept on rocks. Couldn't get the fire started. All this horrible stuff, okay? Well, I remember like I had to, to go to the bathroom and the bathroom was like, like half a mile away, it seems like. And I remember at one point in the trail, like there's like a few lights, but I got far enough in the trail where I literally could not see anything. And it was one of those things where it was so dark, I was kind of like walking like this because I, I couldn't even see my hand like from this far away. Like, I mean, pitch black, must have been like a cloudy night because no stars, no moon, you know, like as dark as I, and I remember for like for a good 15 minutes, like I have no idea where I'm at. And then like a car would drive by and I'd kind of jog along with it to get some, some light, right? And then finally in the distance, I see this little lit up place where the bathroom was. And um, I found some other people walking back and they had a flashlight, they were really smart. And I made it back. But something about that darkness is that the tiny bit of light you can see from, you know, just a long way away. It's like the illustration that Jesus uses, like you're the city on a hill. Um, so if you're in the middle of nowhere and you see this big city lit up on the hill, it's really easy to see. And kind of, if you think about that, and you, and you keep that, that picture in mind, when John is describing light and darkness, he is saying that the darkness that is not found in God doesn't even have a tinge of light. Okay? So, in essence, what, what he's trying to get, he's trying to, to make this picture of darkness and light, but really there is no in-between, okay? So, something that this passage speaks for us is it raises these questions of what do you do when you sin? What do you do when you sin? What should you do when you make mistakes? See, something about this passage is that even for Christians, sin is something that at times we do, but here's the worst part. We deny it. We sometimes, we, we like to rationalize our sin. Oh, well, Technically, it was just a little white lie, and that's not that really big of a deal. Or we redefine sin. And what John is trying to get at is he's asking the question, do you take your sin seriously? Do you actually understand the reality and consequences of sin? And not just a huge big sin, but the little sins that we do throughout our entire day. Do you have a biblical view of what sin actually is? And what you'll see a little later as we talk about it, that if we do not have the proper view of sin, we cannot have fellowship with God. Here's my worry, that some of us in this room have such a small view and perspective on how bad and ugly sin is that we don't deal with it accordingly. And therefore, because of that, John would say, you don't walk in the light, you actually walk in darkness. 
And in that darkness, there's not even the little tiniest bit of light. You see, you can't be kind of a Christian and kind of not a Christian. You can't be kind of in the light and kind of in the darkness. You can't sit in the middle and be this morally gray person. It's either you're going to have a robust understanding of what God's word tells us about sin, or you're going to have a very flimsy and floppy view of what sin is. So I would like just to spend as much time as we can, as time permits, because I mean, I had to get rid of a lot of notes in order to make sure we don't go too long because we have small groups. But here's the, here's the structure. If, if you kind of like knowing what he's trying to do, what John does is he gives us a theological statement. And by that, what I'm saying is he gives us a statement about the nature and character of God, that is, God is light. And out of that, he flows out the implications of what does it mean that God is light. You know, you see a lot of bumper stickers and plaques on uh, things on walls. You, you see this thing, God is love. Right? We say that a lot. I think I, I make the joke that sometimes the only two verses people know is, don't judge me, God is love. Right? Don't tell me to live my life. God loves me. Leave me alone. You know, those two verses are the only ones I know. But before John talks about that, because that verse has come from 1 John, God is love, he says, God is light. And based out of this one theological statement, and we'll unpack it a little bit, is he gives the implications all the way through chapter 2 and chapter 3 of what does it mean that God is light. And what he does is he exposes three different lies that we are tempted to believe concerning sin. And here's my, before we kind of jump into the passage, here's my encouragement to you. Do not quickly assume that these lies you don't believe in. Oh, that sounds crazy. I don't do that. Don't, don't be quick to assume is what I'd say. So I want to start off by going over this theological statement, right? He poses three lies out of this. In verse 5, he says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, there are a lot of different people who like to try to interpret what John is saying here. They say that John is either talking about a visible manifestation of God's glory, okay? That, that God came down, and, and when you see him, it's just light. That's a view, that's a theory. Or, God is light in that he has provided his word as a revelation to man so that we can see. Okay, We, we can know God now. We can know who he is, what does he do. Why he loves us? Because he's revealed himself in scripture. God is light. And then I just sit there and I read all these commentaries and I, I just mourn. Like, wh where do you people come up with all of these random theories about... Sometimes I just... A little rabbit trail. People will say anything just to write a book. Like... A lot of times, um, the good commentators that I read, they're recounting all the different theories that they've come across. And it's just like eight theories on what does it mean that God is light. And I, I, I just feel like they're just writing things so that people would buy their books, so they can make some money because they have to do something with their life, right? But here is really what John is saying by saying God is light. He's saying this. That God is morally perfect. With God, there is no darkness at all, which means there is no blemish, no stain, no mark. There is no sin in the character of God. God is absolute perfection. 
He is absolute in holiness and purity. When you look at God, the character and nature of God, there is not one thing that is out of place. Everything about God is beautiful and it is glorious and He is completely perfect. When we say God is light, we are elevating the fact that in God, there's nothing wrong with. He's perfect. He doesn't do things by mistake. And here's when, even when I hear those words, okay, like, yeah, isn't that what God's supposed to be like? He's supposed to be perfect. He's supposed to be holy. Like, dude, we kind of learned that like age five of Sunday school, that God is good and we aren't. Right? But with John, you have to understand again, who is he talking to? He's not talking to people in the 21st century who've had thousands of years of Christian tradition and history and society, but he's talking to a civilization, to people who had an understanding that there are many gods and there are many idols, and some of the gods were even worse than men. Some of the gods who were worshipped in Greek culture were just heathens. They would come down and they'd have sex with everyone and all these orgies. And these are the gods that they would give sacrifices to. So the idea that God would be morally perfect is probably a new idea that most people had never heard before. Wait, wait, wait. The God you worship is he's absolutely perfect and pure and righteous and holy? And so he's trying to combat, if you, if you just try, every time you read 1 John, try to remember that he's actually speaking to people who are saying false things about the gospel. They're saying false things about God. God isn't completely perfect. I mean, all you got to do is watch is Superman versus Batman, right? What does he say, Lex Luthor? Either God is all good, and then he's not all powerful, or either he's all-powerful, but not all-good. It's not an unusual thing to douse the goodness of God. In fact, a lot of us kind of do that when we go through hard times and trials. But what John is trying, he's giving us this, this, I mean, like, in just one sentence, he is packing a punch. He is unloading so much information about who God is. And the statement that follows of what John likes to do um, which is typically pretty poor English grammar, is he follows up by giving a negative statement, right? So what's the negative statement? God is light, and in him is no darkness. Now, really quick, um, I'll put this on the board so you guys can see. This is the second part of verse 5 in Greek, okay? So if you kind of look um, that God, phos, eston, God is light, so that chi, that middle word, it's and, uh, it's the most common word you'll see in the Greek New Testament, Kai. Um, and darkness in him is none. So what he is doing is he's giving a double negation. Literally what he says, in, if we translate it word for word in Greek, it says this. There is no darkness in him, none. Now like I said, for us English people, if we were to translate that, that is very poor grammar. But in Greek grammar and Greek theology... That is the strongest way to express an emphatic negation. That he's trying to emphasize as much as he possibly can that God is absolutely pure and righteous and holy and in God there is no darkness. And this is how he is starting off getting into his ethical commands. He's, he's saying you have to understand who God is first. 
That despite what all these people were saying about God, God is perfect. God is holy. And so here's the question I have for you. Is what kind of God does our culture want God to be? Because the idea that God is in fact perfect and righteous and holy, and that might have been a new idea to them, I don't think that's even a new idea today. We want, and maybe the world wants, they want a God who is tolerant towards sin. We want a God who ignores disobedience. We want a God who only rewards and never punishes. We want a God who receives all people, whether they come to him in truth or in pretense. We want a God who will bear with all hypocrisy. Do you, do you see the, the type of things that we try to make up who God is? God would never do that. I mean, I, I hear it all the time. People making statements about who God is. Well, well, well God loves all people, right? That's true in a sense. Will God accept the person who continually their entire life rebels against him? If your answer to that question is yes, you do not understand what John is saying here. Because he's all about, what's what's he talking about, right? Last week we talked about this. He's talking about fellowship with, with them, fellowship with God. If you want to have fellowship with God, and if God is light, and in him there's no darkness, that's a problem then if we walk in darkness. And so what he's trying to do, he's trying to say, this is who God is, and you need to have a right understanding of who Jesus is is and this is my point we need as Christians to know rightly and think rightly about God what does that mean? that means we must know what his word says we must have good study habits when it comes to understanding the pages of scripture and knowing theology let me put the ball in your court for a second Knowing about the Bible well and being able to explain it and to teach it and to know about theology does not rely on just the people who are up here teaching. But it relies on you. That you would come to God's word and not just kind of read it once a week or pay attention during a sermon. But that you would be able to know God's word, to know what it's teaching, to know good theology to actually have a good way of learning how to study the Bible. I mean, something that I I mourn about Christian bookstores and a lot of Bible studies in churches is that it doesn't actually study the Bible. There's There's a Bible study on on finances, and all they really do is cherry pick a few Bible verses that talk about finance. And they come up with a few good things to say and some good rules of thumb But that's not really studying the Bible. And I just see it over and over and over again. I was like, I was here for maybe six months. And I asked asked Pastor Steve, I was like, is there just any small group that all they do when they get together is just open up the Bible and read it and study it and talk about it? It's like, yeah, I don't know. We don't really got any of those. But hey, you can meet with this guy and he'll talk about the Bible with you. 
So I started meeting with this guy, and all we would do is we'd open up one, we went through 1 Corinthians together, and we would read it, and we would ask questions, and we would study it. And sometimes we'd go online, and we'd do some research, and we'd read some commentaries, because it is imperative that we actually know our faith, that we study it, that we know that these theological truths, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. So that is, that is the anchor that is holding the rest of his amp- applications for the next couple of chapters, the next couple of verses. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And here's the last thing I'll say about this point. I think that every single person in this room, if you had a better picture of who God was and who he is, it would motivate your worship. It would push forward your obedience. It would change the vision and direction of your life. It would give you hope in the direst of circumstances. It would make fellowship with other Christians all the more sweet. And it all is dependent on your view of who God is. Do you have a small view of God? When you, when you have the opportunity to worship him or to, to see him in his word, what's your response? If, you're, if your response is weak and puny and small, here's what I'd say. Your view of God is small. So John is trying to say, listen, when it comes to the faith, we must know that God is perfect and there's no darkness in him at all. And so this leads him into these three lies. And so what you see a lot in these verses are these conditional statements, right? And so, again, I don't want to get super geeky or nerdy on you, but in Greek there's these things called um, first class, second class, or third class conditional statements. And if you look, he says, if, if, but if we walk in the light, if we say we have no sins, if we say we have not sinned, what he's doing is he's, he's not necessarily saying, like, if this, then that. But he's trying, to, he's trying to put himself and all of us in this category that if we do this, more than likely, this will happen. Okay? So here's the first lie that he exposes after talking about this truth. That if we claim to be close with God and we walk in the dark, we are lying. So would you go ahead and look down at verses 6 and 7? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what did I say up here? We can be close with God and walk in the dark. That is the lie that we are tempted to believe. That I can have a relationship with Jesus, that I can be close with God, that I can do my devotions, I can pray to him, yet I can live however I want. And by darkness, what we're referring to is sin, the habitual pattern of coming back to our sin over and over again. Do you want to hear a lie? The person who says, I'm a Christian, yet continues to sin. That's what he's getting at, right? So one of the first things that he's concerned about telling Christians, and he's trying to advocate against what these false teachers are saying, is those who would say they're close with God, but live contrary to God's character, right? It's not so much that we're doing wrong things against what Scripture is telling us. He just gave us the theological principle. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness. So how can we be close to God 
if we're walking in darkness, because in God there is no darkness at all. You see what he's doing? He's, he's drawing out of that implication of that God is light and in him there's no darkness. And therefore, we cannot be people who walk in the dark. If you are a Christian, if you in fact are close with God, you do not make a pattern or a habit of walking in sin. I see it. I, again, what did I say up front? Don't assume too quickly that this doesn't matter to you. That it doesn't count towards you. You're not like this. This is, this is for all those heathens out there who go to the parties. and don't, don't be quick to assume that. You know, one of the reasons, if you hear me preach a lot, if you hear me teach, there's, there's, there's a certain section of scripture that come up a lot in my vocab. The Beatitudes. Right? The very first beatitude, and the reason why I like the beatitudes so much is I feel like they give so many good summary statements of the, what does it mean to be a Christian, the character statements of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. The very first one, Jesus says this, congratulations to those who are poor in spirit. One of the hardest things for Christians to say well is this, I have sinned. One of the hardest things for us to say well is to say, I have sinned. But you see, that's exactly why Jesus would say in the very first beatitude, congratulations to you if you can say the words, I am poor in spirit. I have sinned. God, my moral compass is off. God, in fact, I am spiritually bankrupt. I read this passage and, and I, I, I anticipate the, the things that people would say in correction to it. Does this mean that we can never sin? Does this mean that if I just sin once a day, I'm walking in darkness? How much sin can I have before I'm walking in darkness? And, and, and here, here's what I'd say to that. That for the Christian, sin should never be the norm. Sin should be the slight deviation that we have sometimes. And as Christians, we need to be people who are sensitive to sin and who become more aware of it. See, I think Paul is onto something when, when he says, the more you grow in your awareness of sin, you begin to say things like, I am, the, I am less than the least of all of the saints. I am the worst sinner. You see, what, what, what the, the lie he's trying to get at is the people who continue to make a practice of sin, yet say they have a relationship with God. Do not be fooled into thinking that you can live however you want and have a relationship with God. That defies the very character and nature of God. Look at the fact and the promise that he gives in verses 6 and 7. Here's the fact. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, here it is. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But here's the promise. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the best part of this passage. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
I think every single person in this room would do well to consider how you are living for the Lord. Now, some of us here, I, some of us here, we have some really rough habitual sins that we need, that we're working out, that we talk to people about, that we're getting help on. But how many of you take your sin seriously? This this quote on my board that says, "Be killing sin, or it'll be killing you." I think we are in in grave danger of taking sin lightly. And that's the lie that he's trying to get at. Listen, if you go around saying that you're close with God and that you're a Christian and you don't even care about sin and you rarely think about it and you don't confess it, he's saying you're a liar. Lie number two is this, that we are not guilty of anything. If you look down... Uh, verses 8 and 9, he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's the thing. When John is talking here, I don't think he's giving verbatim things of what the false teachers were saying. So, therefore, I don't think people were actually saying, they were not actually saying, we have no sin. I think what most people back then were probably saying in this context is saying, you know, yeah, technically we're all kind of sinners, but really, I've only done just a few little things, and they really don't even matter. Pretty much they're downplaying sin as if I'm still really a good person. I don't think I really have anything to be sorry for. Everyone kind of fibs a little bit. Everyone sometimes loses their temper. Kind of like if you're in Sunday school this morning, we talked about how when we get angry, we don't call it sin. We call it, I need to vent. Or I just need to cool off a little bit, right? I just, I just lost my temper. And what he's saying here is, is if we say we have no sin, if we pretty much say that I'm not, I'm not really guilty of that much, I'm a good kid. Yeah, sure, I've kind of rubbernecked a little bit on some tests and looked over at someone else's answers and... Yeah, sometimes I maybe get a little annoyed at my siblings or my parents. But I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. And I've never stolen anything. And we kind of, we think we're okay, right? And what he's saying here is, if you, so if you look on that board over there, that's the Lord's Prayer, right? This is pretty much how, if I, if I can summarize what John is saying here. So if you can pray that prayer and not have to say the words and forgive us our trespasses, if, if, you, can, if you can actually come to God and say, ah, I don't really have much to ask for forgiveness of, what does he say? You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Again, here, here's what we're talking about. Do we have a right and biblical view of sin? Do we practice in it? Do we understand that we actually are sinners? Here's what the Bible teaches. That every single human is depraved and does not know right from wrong. And that our moral compass is off. And that we of all people, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we are asking God to forgive us. And not just the the sin we did last week, but the sin that we do every day. And so the second lie is, 
I'm not really guilty of much. I, I, I remember the conversation vividly. When I was in eighth grade, and I was walking with my friend Brad Olson up to his house. This is the first time I ever had the courage to ask my friends whether or not they believe in God. And I asked them the, the age-old question, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? I don't think my friend Brad had been into like, a church in his entire life. And he was dogmatically, I'm going to heaven, Aaron. Why would you think otherwise? And I began to try to like, quote like Romans 3.23, for we all have sinned. And he's looked at me like, I have never sinned once. Brad, I'm your best friend. I see you at school all the time. Like, there, I see you get mad and swear and, and cheat. No, those aren't that bad. Like, I mean, he was just so, so dogmatically, I don't do anything bad. And that is the hugest lie that we can believe ever. That if we think that we're not really guilty of anything, do you know why that's so bad? <clears throat> if you can come to God and say, hey, yeah, I don't have much to ask for forgiveness from, you, you belittle and you demean the work of Christ what was the purpose that Jesus actually came to earth? That he would come to seek and to save sinners. When Jesus was on the cross, his mission was to pay for the penalty of sin that was rightfully on us. When we look at our sin and say, ah, I don't have much to confess, we are pretty much telling Jesus that what you did really isn't that important. Now here's the thing, when he talks about sin and, and confessing sin, and I don't think it's just talking about when we're with God before communion or we're doing a worship song and we kind of say, hey God, I'm really sorry I looked at that thing, or God, I'm really sorry that I said those words to those people, but God, can you kind of forgive me of this? He's talking about publicly confessing sin to one another. Now I don't know how many of you have actually been in an like, accountability relationship or in a small group where you felt brave enough to confess sins but if someone came up to you a good Christian brother or sister you loved and respected and trusted with and they just said hey can I ask you a question what are the, what are the sins that really that get you the most what are, the, what are the things that you really struggle with that you don't tell anyone would it be like the typical shallow yeah sometimes I lose my temper you know sometimes I maybe don't Speak that nicely to people? Or can you actually begin to think about the sins that really get you? Are you, are you even aware of the sins? Sometimes, you know, we teach people, like, before you pray, pray that God reveal any hidden sin. Are you someone who, who feels forgiven of much or forgiven of little? That's the question. Do you kind of say, like, eh, I'm doing okay. Third lie is this, that we haven't sinned at all. Now, again, I don't think people are actually saying this, but if you look down at verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now, what is happening here is that there's people probably going around saying, okay, I'm a Christian now. I've accepted Jesus. I have his anointing. I've gotten the spirit. And now I'm perfect. And there's actually um, a number of kind of heretical teachings that have kind of spurred up over the centuries that people believe that eventually after walking with Jesus, you can reach this 
period of life where you don't sin at all anymore. And what John is saying, absolutely not. If we, have, if, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We're telling God that you are light and, and you're no darkness, but I have no problems either. And so this last point is trying to teach us that confession means that I say the same thing God says about sin. So in essence, if you want to summarize the last three lies of what he's saying here, he is saying this. If you want to have a biblical, robust understanding of what sin is in the Bible, it is this, that I say the same thing about sin that God does. That I sin often and repeatedly and daily. And in fact, my sinful nature will not go away until I one day walk with him in eternity there's a few verses I skipped over here, though. You see, again, I think one of the dangers here is, is for us to think, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner, but how much sin is too much? Well, God, forgive me of my sins. This is where in verse 9 he says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen very carefully. This verse has been used a lot. And I think you would do well to be like the many, many Christians who have memorized this verse and have taken much courage and hope in this verse. And if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But here's the thing that I would say. Do not miss the context where this verse comes. Right before, what does he say? That if you continue to walk in darkness, yet, came, yet claim closeness with God, you don't practice the truth. This verse is not supposed to be a verse that says, every single time I sin, I'm going to keep doing my sin. I'm going to keep confessing, I'm going to be okay. It is in a way. But it's not supposed to be a verse that gives us license to continue practicing in darkness. It's there to give us hope that when we are walking in darkness and we have those small deviations where we go back into sin, that I can confess my sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us because I know that until the day I die, I will always struggle with sin. But as a Christian, I understand that my sin is offensive. That to have a relationship with God... In Him, there is, He is light and there is no darkness at all. That I can only rely on the very thing that He says here in the middle of verse 7. That the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all of my sin. It is the blood of Jesus that can make us like God. Where there would be no darkness in us at all. Do you have a right view of sin? Do you take your sin seriously? Here's my last illustration. We'll sing a few songs. Um, I'm sorry, I, don't, I can't actually demonstrate this for you, but I'm just going to explain it, okay? So imagine I, I get like a white, a white handkerchief in my pocket, okay? Uh, and I raise it up to you and I say, okay, what color is this handkerchief? And you'd be like, white, right? And you kind of look at it like, yeah, it looks pretty clean, you know, no dirt on it, no mud, or no one drew a Sharpie on it. Just a white handkerchief. But then imagine we have like a light bulb standing right there, okay? And uh, it's a white handkerchief, right? And we start putting it closer to the light. As we got closer, we kind of see like, oh, you know, there's a little bit of stain right there, actually. As we got closer, yeah, you know, actually, I do kind of see some dirt on it a little bit. We get closer and closer. Ah, you know, I see some more things on there. 
And what happens is when you get this white handkerchief from a distance, it looks clean, it looks white. But when you bring it closer to the light and you actually have a light right underneath the handkerchief, you can see all of its imperfections and its dirtiness and its stains. And the same thing is true that when we come to embrace God who is light and we come closer to him, we begin to see more of the imperfections and the stains and the dirt in our own life. And so coming and drawing close to God, we begin as a Christian. Listen, I, I am a Christian. I've been raised in the churches in the Bible college seminary. I did a wanna. Yet I, I agree with the Apostle Paul that I am the worst of all sinners. Because the closer I come to God, the more I realize His grace, the more I realize my sin that I'm bent on myself. Do not be misled to think that sin is no small matter to God. But let us also have the hope and the confidence that when we deviate, we have a God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Would you guys pray with me? Just bow your heads. Some of you here, I think, really struggle with taking sin seriously. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to talk to God. Just ask God that he would be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I just pray that you... Pray that God would really give you the desire to take your sin seriously. And in a few minutes, we'll, we'll start singing again.